Brothers, now lift up your hearts and hear the good news. Listen to how great a salvation you have because of God's grace to you. We were once in rebellion with God, but he has now made us friends and has given us a new heart. We were once in the domain of darkness, but he has transferred us to the light of the kingdom of his son. We were once alienated from God, hostile in mind and flesh, but he has now reconciled us to himself through Jesus. We were once enemies of God, but now he has made peace by the blood shed by Jesus at the cross for us. And we were once under condemnation and judgment with a terrifying wrath awaiting our souls. But Jesus has borne our sins on his body at the cross, taken our judgment, suffered our wrath, and has, been, and has granted us full forgiveness for all of our sins. So brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe upon this and rejoice. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. The reading of God's word this morning begins in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Verses 18 to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear of it and fear. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang night, all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land, which Yahweh your God gives you as an inheritance. We'll turn now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. And read verses 16 through 19. Jesus is speaking and he says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Please now turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 105, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, 
of little account in sojourners in it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate he suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen? Amen. Father, now we come to your word and we pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. We ask that you would give your spirit to we, your congregation, that he uh, might help us to know what you're saying, help us to understand it. And we pray that we would be faithful to think it through and meditate on it and then act upon it. We pray that you would bless our time in your word. For the glory of Christ we pray, amen. Well, so we're back to Galatians for two weeks. Then you'll get four weeks of Colossians. And then the book of Hezekiah after that. Nobody laughed. There is no Hezekiah. Man. The congregation needs to learn a few things. <laughs> Lots of us come to church and we listen to the teaching. And of course, what we really want in our heart is that it affirm what we think. Of course, that doesn't always happen because we're finite, and the guy who's teaching is finite, and so we don't always get things right. Either the teacher may be wrong, or we may hear wrong, or understand him incorrectly, or we've held some long-time belief that just doesn't measure up to God's Word. Of course, none of us wants to be wrong, but clearly... We know we have errors. If we knew what they were, we would correct them. We're coming to Galatians chapter 3, and Galatians chapter 3 is decidedly has one point. 
It's not the point we usually think about when we come to Galatians chapter 3, but it is Paul's point. And we're going to have to follow Paul's thinking after Paul and not follow Paul's thinking after Martin Luther. Martin Luther didn't write Galatians 3. Paul did. And Martin Luther, although he's done great things, very great things by God's grace for the church in bringing about the return to the doctrine of justification by faith, over the past 500 years, we've overplayed that hand so that we can't see straight when we open the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to continue down a path which you can already tell I barely remember last time we were in Galatians, so if you don't, don't worry about it. You, if you remember, I was tacking on just a little different course. We're going to tack further along that course today. This is what Solomon says. He who gives an answer before he hears it is folly and shame to him. So, I expect some uh, kickback on Galatians. And I expect people not to fully understand what I'm saying about Galatians. I'll do my best so that doesn't happen. But, don't drop out before the, you hear the case and prove yourself to be a fool. So uh, we come to Galatians chapter 3, and Galatians comes in one, two, three sections, chapters 1 and 2, which are bracketed on both ends. Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age and then when you get down to chapter 2 and verse 20 he delivered himself up for us he gave himself over for us at the end of Galatians so you have these bookends and this is uh, following a, a complaint against Paul that he hasn't the true gospel and he got it from man so we tracked through chapter one about how he got the gospel we entered into chapter two where he stood firm on the gospel and in this case the attack on the gospel had to do with works of the law not works of the law like you and i tend to think of works of the law because we think anything you do in the in the law is a work well it is but in, in Galatians, there are specialized works. They are the things that make the law particularly Jewish. Now, I'm talking about the way the Jews think of it. That is circumcision, food laws, and the like. And so Paul in chapter 2 says, well, we went up to Jerusalem, and uh, not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. Some people sneaked in unawares, but he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. And then we get a little further down in chapter 2, and Peter has come down from, or come over to Antioch from Jerusalem, and he's over here eating with the whole church, Gentiles, Jews alike, and then here comes this party from James. They say they're from James, and they're over here, and Peter gets up, walks over here, sits down, won't eat with Gentiles anymore. If you, Peter, being a Jew, live like a Gentile, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We uh, looked at chapter 2, verses 15 and following in some detail. And there, to some of you, there was some new stuff. One of the new things was to think about the word justification or the word righteousness. It's, it's the same word in Greek. And to realize that every time you see the word justification or the word righteousness, we are not talking, nor is Paul talking about 
a declaration of imputed merit from Christ. Now, that is found in Romans. Romans has a lot to do with that. But, friends, it, it just isn't found in Galatians. Now, somebody's already objected to my statement there, but we haven't even got to the real point yet. So, we discovered, I hope we discovered, that the word righteousness, the word justification, which goes all the way back to Genesis Abraham looked up at all the stars and he believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. It doesn't always talk about an imputation. And we said, this is a term that refers to, uh, 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 well, a community made by covenant. So when you pick up the only other time in the Old Testament reckoned to him for righteousness, it's found in Psalm 106, verse 31, which is recounting the incident of uh, the Israelite being just by Moab there and the council of uh, Balaam for the Moabite women to mix with the Israelite men and lure them to the sacrifices. And uh, it happened. And God began killing 23,000 people. And people were mourning, and here came a couple into camp, and Phineas caught them in flagrante in a compromising position and took a spear and shoved it through them so they were forever attached. And Psalm 106, verse 31 says, God reckoned it to him for righteousness for generation to generation. And when we follow that through, we discover that, well, what God did, according to Numbers chapter 25, is he made a covenant of peace with Phineas, and it's called a perpetual covenant of priesthood from one generation to the next. Now, I only tell you that because I want you to, to track today, and I want you to remember, you know, even Psalm 106 uh, doesn't use the Luther expression. It means something different. It means covenant. And so when we come to uh, Galatians chapter 3, we're going to try to make it through 14 verses today. We already looked at the first five, so we won't spend a lot of time on them. But I just want to lay just a, a few statements of background. If you've been reading Galatians and you track through chapter 3, you discover that Abraham is a big illustration, an example. He's, uh, he's, he's talked about. And one has to ask, why is Abraham brought up in Paul's argument? And the typical answer is, well, here's what happened. Paul's talking about, well, when you trust Christ, your sin goes over to him and his righteousness goes over to you. And then Paul's tracking through his mind, where can I find this in Scripture? And he finds it in the case of Abraham. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. And he finds it in the case of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. The righteous, the justified are going to live by faith. If we think about the context of the statement made to Abraham in Genesis, and if we just set aside, just for the sake of thinking some things through, if we set aside uh, proper teaching, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it doesn't belong here in, Gen in Galatians, if we set that aside and let our minds flow a little bit in context in Genesis, then we will discover something maybe a little bit different. 
Now, there's been a man named uh, Richard B. Hayes, and he's written, oh, five, six books about uh, how to read the Bible, echoes of the Old Testament and New Testament. And one of his points, which has been well accepted uh, over the last 40 years, is that when a biblical writer quotes something or refers to something, he's not just uh, picking a piece out that proves his point out of, a, out of context. Instead, he's taking the whole context and keeping it in his mind. He's bringing something forward, and you can go back and you can see exactly why he picked it out of that context. Now, unfortunately, some people are opposed to Richard B. Hayes, and uh, they, they, well, I'm not going to say more about that. I'll leave that alone lest I get in trouble. So, in Genesis, God takes Abraham out. He looks up into the heavens and he sees the stars and God says to him, this is what your descendants are going to be like. If you can count the stars, you'll be able to count your descendants. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. And then God made a covenant with him. Well, now, wait a minute. That seems to fit with what Psalm 106 is saying with Phineas. God made a covenant with Abraham. And God's covenant with Abraham is, you know, it's scattered there in Genesis, and God makes promises to Abraham. But here in Genesis 15, the covenant is cut, is the technical term. And, and what he is promising Abraham in covenant is surely, surely a personal relationship with God. Paul's not looking at that aspect. He's promising Abraham a family, a big family. You can count the stars. That's how big your family will be. In addition, with respect to the covenant, God says, okay, I'm going I'm to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you, and you will be a blessing. And he goes on to say, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, now, that's, you can say, well, no, what we're talking about is they'll be blessed because they turn into Christians. Surely that's a true statement. That's what he is saying. But he's saying more than that, a lot more than that. He's saying something that has incredible ramifications if you read Galatians after Paul's thinking. He's saying one family. That's what we're going to argue in chapter 3. Abraham, God, doesn't have two peoples of God. He has one family. Now, if you would... Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. And I know we did this, but, you know, it's been the last Sunday of November since we talked about this. And uh, Galatians chapter 3, and you just look down at the end of the chapter. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're trying to figure out what an author is doing, you look at the beginning of what he's saying, and you look at the end of what he's saying. And, and this, this is a section. It's a lengthy section. And it will probably take us three times to get through it, but... Notice what he says uh, in verse 28 of chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. The word is sperma. You are his seed and heirs 
according to promise. All kinds of promises were made to Abraham, and this is going to be for you and your descendants, God says. And now, look, Paul's writing to Gentiles, and he says to Gentiles who don't have an ounce of Jewish blood in their system, you are the offspring of Abraham. Now, you can tell that that would be controversial because if you accept that, if you say there's one family, then there's other things that you've been taught that you may hold dear that you're going to have to throw out because there aren't two families. There's one family. Well, then look back up at uh, chapter 3, right up at the beginning. Now, with respect to this idea of uh, justification, righteousness being covenantal, meaning God made a covenant with Abraham, uh, all these promises are to you and your seed, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed in one place, all the families of the earth will be blessed in another place. This is covenantal. But then you start reading Genesis chapter 15, and you read about the covenant and what happens in the covenant. In the covenant, God says, okay, what's going to happen is you're going to go down, you're going to be slaves in Egypt, and then I'm going to bring you out. So with respect to this covenant that God is making with his people, it also includes exodus. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. Of course, you know, we track with that because we know the Old Testament, so God makes a covenant with Abraham, with his family, with his descendants, and then they go down, they become enslaved to Pharaoh, who, who doesn't know Joseph, and they're mistreated, and they cry out to God, and God comes and brings them out. Now, Chapter 1, verse 4 says, He gave himself for our sins that he might take us out of this present evil age. <laughs> Chapter 1, we have the present evil age. Chapter 6, we have the new created age. A new creation. He takes us out of this age. And he puts us into this age. So, Abraham's family, which turns into a nation, a huge nation, is brought out of slavery, bound for the promised land. So we have, we have covenant making a family. We have covenant with respect to the Exodus, and we have associated with the covenant the Holy Spirit. So if you think of the nation of Israel, they're here bound in Egypt, and they come out, and there's this pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that leads them and they come out and they build this tabernacle by the design that Moses receives from God. And into that tabernacle, or over that tabernacle, comes the pillar of cloud. And that pillar of cloud and fire leads them by day and night on their journeys to go into the promised land, out of slavery into freedom. So the covenant speaks not only of Exodus, but the covenant that was given to Abraham, reckoned to him as righteousness, speaks about the Holy Spirit. When you track through chapter 3, you move on to chapter 4, and lo and behold, we're going to be talking about the Spirit so we're tracking a system out of the Old Testament. Okay, now we're not done yet. We've got a little bit more to talk about with respect to uh, the present age, evil age. Uh, 
and the new creation. So if you read your Bible and you read from Genesis and you read down to the end of Deuteronomy, you discover at the end of Deuteronomy uh, chapters 27, 28, 29, and 30 are all about the blessing and the cursing that's going to come on Israel. The blessing and cursing are going to be very important in this section. So, uh, I, I just want to bring up there's blessing and cursing. All right, let's uh, look at chapter 3. And we'll just read chapter 3, 1 through 5, just to get our, our feet in and move right on then. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to know, I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The hearing of faith. That could be translated the hearing with faith or the hearing of faithfulness. It's hard to tell. But at any rate, Paul came to town and either in his speech or his appearance because he's so battered up. At the end, he tells us he carries in his body the brand marks of Christ. He's so battered up. And he tells a story of the crucifixion. And they can just see, yeah, yeah, this is right. And so they hear the message and they believe the message. Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by are you now being perfected by the flesh now again in chapter 5 we're going to have the spirit flesh controversy he's setting us up for it he's he's talking about it here but given the problem you know what he means by the flesh the issue in galatians is somebody's come down and say hey yeah faith in jesus is good but it's not good enough you got to be circumcised now do you think having Begun by the Spirit, after all, you saw, you heard, you believed. That was the work of the Spirit in your life. And he's going to go on to say he even does miracles. The Spirit is in your midst. And, and, and this is coming about by faith. Are you now going to be perfected by getting circumcised? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed they were in vain. So, in fact, they came to Christ. There were miracles done in their midst. Some false teachings come, and some of the Judaizers have come and begin to persecute people because they're not circumcised. They must be circumcised. And so they've suffered for their faith. Did you suffer so many things, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who gives you the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, we know the answer. Okay, now, 6 through 9 are very important. And uh, it's, it's, it's about Abraham. Look at verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, the word even so, you're, you may have uh, something like just as. What, what he's doing is he's moving a story forward here, and he's putting the Galatians into the story. He wants them in the story. So he's going to move from Abraham down to the Galatians. So Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, remember, I've said this right here. When you look at it and you read Romans, and Romans is a law court scene. We have no law court here. 
and Galatians comes before Romans, so we, we shouldn't try to read uh, what's forward in Romans back into Galatians. It's, it's true, they do help each other out when you're studying, to study them. but when Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned as righteousness, now, l- let's just for fun assume that Craig's right here and say, reckoned for righteousness is not talking about the imputation of uh, moral merit to our empty bank account. That's Romans. And it's true that when we come to Christ, we're declared righteous and we're righteous in Christ. But, but right here, he's talking about God made a covenant with Abraham. He reckoned Abraham righteous and like Phineas, he gave him a covenant that lasts age after age. So he says, even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Do you see what he's saying? If we talk about a family bloodline, then most of us in this room aren't in that bloodline. But we're, he's saying, it's those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would uh, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "All the nations, nations in one context, families in another context, shall be blessed in." you so then those who are of faith are blessed with abraham the believer you're going to be a blessing and in you all the nations but are going to be blessed but notice how paul sees it paul's not saying okay well now here's over abraham and the jewish nation and salvation is of the jews all all that's true, but he's not he's not referencing that over here. He's saying here's Abraham, and God gave him a promise that he's going to have descendants like the stars of the heavens. And then he says, "Oh, all those who are of faith, they're in Abraham's family." Well, you'll have to just kind of cogitate on that. That surely looks like what it's saying, doesn't it? And notice the incorporative language. We talk about being in Christ, and and we're quite aware what that means. We're, We're put right into Christ so that we are his body. You can't get any closer than that. And he's saying... Your son's in Abraham, and you're blessed with Abraham. That's all incorporative family language. God has one single family, not two. You'll have to think about it. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying here's the gospel taken right out of Genesis 12 all the nations shall be blessed in you So then, those who are of faith are blessed together with Abraham, the believer. Now, 
Does that include what's said in Romans? Well, there's got to be salvation that takes place, but that's not Paul's subject. His subject is who belongs to the family of God. Do you have to be circumcised to belong to the family of God? Where in the background is the idea of salvation and our sins being taken away. That's in chapters 1 and 2. But now the question that's looming in the churches of Galatia, am I in or am I out? Do I have to be circumcised or do I not have to be circumcised? The question is not, are my sins paid for? No, he's already told us. He he gave himself to deliver us out of this evil age. Okay, now... Verses 10 through 14, then, uh, you're going to have to track closely. And we're going to have to be careful with Paul's language because he uses you and we. And he means just what he says. So that sometimes he's going to refer to Jewish people and sometimes he's going to refer to Gentile people And then he's going to put them all together with Abraham as father. So look at verse uh, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide uh, abide by all things written in the law in the book of the law to do them to perform them now that's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 27 the last verse I, I love that little section you know because the Levites are saying cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife and all the people say amen the one I like is, cursed is the man that leads a blind man into the ditch. And everybody says, amen. <laughs> and, you know, and it, it follows on down. And then the very last thing is, cursed is the man who uh, doesn't perform all these. Everybody says, amen. Okay, chapter 27 starts this section of Blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy. And it goes all the way to the end of the book. And the book says, all this, when the curse, when the blessing and the curse has come upon you, then this is what's going to happen. Well, what happens? The curse comes upon Israel. Why? Well, because... They became idolaters. They did all kinds of stuff. And what happened to them? They were thrown out of the land. That was the curse. They threw them out of the land. God tells them, and we'll we'll see in just a minute, referring to Leviticus, that, uh, you know, the Canaanites and the Egyptians, they did all these things. This land where I'm going to, you don't you dare do what the Canaanites did. And, and most of what he's talking about there in Leviticus chapters 18 and 20 has to do with sexual sin, but it also has to do with idolatry and, and, and a, a few other things. If you do these, the land will vomit you out. That's exactly what happened. And Deuteronomy is calling that the curse. They're under a curse. Those who are the works of the law are under a curse. Friends, Gentiles were not under that covenant. They weren't of the works of the law. When they did what the Canaanites did, they weren't vomited out of their land. They weren't under that law. So he's making a point. All those who are of the works of the law, all those who are in this covenant, and this law was added to them, they're under a curse. Why? Because the nation strayed from God, and God vomited them out which created a long history. And this long history was first Babylon, and then under Cyrus, 
Some of them came back, but then it was the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And even in the days of Paul, in the days of Jesus, in the Gospels, they were still under the curse. How do we know? People say, wait, wait, wait a minute. They, they went back into their own land and they even built the temple. It's true enough, they did. But if you track just with history, the history that comes straight from the Bible, and you track with what happened to Israel, you know that, well, they came back. The problem is, God didn't come back. When they went out of Egypt, God was with them. Pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. When the, temp when the tabernacle was done, God's glory moved in so that people couldn't even be in there. Same thing happened with the temple. And then Ezekiel gets a vision of God's glory lifting up in the chariot cloud and hovering over Jerusalem and going over Mount Olive and departing. And they did come back after 70 years. But Daniel chapter 9 tells us that 70 years was extended into 490 years. Some of them were back, but when they built the temple, no glory came to the temple. They hadn't come back. God didn't come back. But when you come down to Jesus' day, ah, he goes into the temple and he walks out. Just like the glory cloud, he goes out onto the Mount of Olives and he looks back over there at Jerusalem with his disciples pointing out the beauty of it. And he says, not one stone will be left on another. In other words, they're still under the curse. They have not been delivered and God did not come back. Except Jesus, who died and rose again. And the Galatians... Ah, God came to them in the Spirit. That's the argument of chapter 3. All right, look down. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Now, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteous Man shall live by faith. Well, now, now that makes it look like that's Romans, doesn't it? It's evident that nobody's justified by the works of the law. But what is he talking about? Look at it again. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. But you've got to put yourself into the history that Paul is talking about. So all of Israel who were of the works of the law, they were under the law. When the law said be circumcised, they were supposed to do what the law says. And what happened? All of them were thrown out of the land. None of them were justified by the works of the law. But it says, it says, uh, nobody's just by the works of the law, but by faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, what is the context of that statement? It comes from Habakkuk chapter 2. I don't remember, verse 4 or verse 5. But it follows on chapter 1 where Habakkuk, uh, as one of my professors at seminary said, Habakkuk, the, the prophet with a question mark for a brain, uh, he's questioning God about this terrible Chaldean Empire uh, taking them captive when they're more wicked, but God says this is the way it's going to be, so what is a righteous man supposed to do when the nation is carried away? Well, in Habakkuk, it's not talking about getting merit put to your account because you're an unrighteous person. It's talking about the righteous people. What are they going to do now that they've been vomited out of the land? They're going to 
live by faith. In other words, this whole history of Israel, where they're of the works of the law, it starts by coming out of Egypt, it goes into the promised land, but Moses has already recorded in Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, what's going to happen to them. And they're going to be thrust out. And chapter 30 of Deuteronomy gives hope that God will return. But for all these years, all the way down to Jesus, God had not returned. Now, in Jesus, he returns. However, the law is not a faith on the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Well, of course, a law is a law. It gives you what to do. And this comes from uh, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And God is simply saying to these people, here's what I want you not to do. Now, don't do it. If you do it, you're going to be vomited out of the land. So, the way for God to come back is not by going under law. The way Israel was taken out of the land and then returned partially was not by going under law. No. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them will live by them. Now, is he talking about eternal life here? No, he's not talking about eternal life. He's talking about they're living in the promised land. And if you keep these laws, you'll keep living in the promised land. They didn't keep them. And they were thrown out. And it's the same thing that happened to Adam. Adam's put in a garden. And Adam gets the rules of the garden, and Adam didn't even have the propensity to sin that Israel had, and Adam broke the rules of the garden, and what happened to him? He's thrust out of the garden, and Adam is away from God. That's what's happened to Israel. They had a propensity to sin because they had a sin nature. Adam didn't at first and they sinned and they're thrust out and now they're dead they're not in the promised land they can't have the promises of God so it says in verse 12 however the law is not of faith on the contrary he who practices them shall live by them Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Okay, now notice the pronouns. We're talking about everybody's under the Adamic curse, but we're talking about a Deuteronomic curse here. And it's the curse that fell on Israel. This is what's going to happen to you if you don't do what I say. And Christ redeemed them, redeemed us, he says, from the curse of the law. Now, there's a theological extrapolation that fits the gospel. Don't misunderstand me, but we're just tracking with what Paul is saying. Christ redeemed Israel from the curse. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse in our place because everyone who's hanged on a tree is cursed. And, and you notice that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21. And I had the scripture read to us that way because a son who wouldn't do what his parents said, they take him to the elders of their city and, and they say, this, this son of ours is lazy and he is a glutton and a drunkard. The very things that were said about Christ. I came eating and drinking, and what they said is, hey, you didn't come doing what we wanted. I came eating, and they called me a glutton and a drunkard. But wisdom is proved right. 
So Jesus is cursed. He's hanging on a tree, by the way, when Jewish people are... They, they didn't hang people in nooses in those days. They stoned them. And then they took their body and they put it up on a tree to display that this person is under the curse of the law. And so Jesus... He, he wasn't stoned, he was nailed to a tree, but he's up on a tree, and therefore he is presented as cursed by the law. And what was that law? It was the law of Deuteronomy that cursed him. And he bore Israel's curse. He was their representative. He was their substitute. Now, mind you, we're, we're not, uh, you, you got a track, just about done here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, look at verse 14. So, notice, this section is 10 to 14, and when you come to 14, he's telling you why he's said what he's said. Look at what it says in order that in Christ Jesus, uh, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Christ bore this curse because after all, Israel's away from God. How is Israel, how are people going to be blessed in Abraham when the whole nation is away from God? Well, Jesus took the curse upon himself so that the Gentiles might be blessed. Now look at it again. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Okay? We understand that statement. Now, look at the next statement. So that we, Gentiles are going to be blessed, and we will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Who's the we? It's not the Gentiles. It's true, they received the Spirit. We're going to see that in chapter 4. But here, he's, Jesus bore the curse of Israel. So that Israel could be made straight. Jesus is the true Israel and his disciples out of him make up the 12 tribes so that the blessing that flows from Abraham all the way down to Jesus, the seed, can come upon Gentiles. He bore that curse to straighten up Israel, to take care of their sin so that the blessing might come to the Gentiles. And then he says, so that we might receive the Spirit. You see, in Ezra's temple, there was no spirit. From the completion of the temple the, the, uh, in 516 all the way down to Herod's temple that Jesus went in, there was no God in there, no spirit. The Jews had nothing of the Holy Spirit because they're under a curse, still cast out even though some have come back the promises have not been fulfilled but in christ he bore the curse the deuteronomic curse against the nation he bore that curse so that israel could become what israel is supposed to be to send the blessing on to the gentiles and in the whole process israel gets the spirit okay we, we've come to the end, but mind you, we're headed down to the end, and we've already seen it here. Everyone who believes is Abraham's son. That has lots of ramifications. And therefore, what I'm saying to 65% of the church in America, they cannot take it. The ramification is more than they want. So think it through. It's beautiful, though, what Jesus has done for Israel. 
and how the promise to Abraham then begins to flow out and you look at the book of Acts and that's exactly what happened. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then out goes the promise to the uttermost part of the earth. And what is the promise? Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And what? You shall receive the gift of the Spirit. One family. Let's stand. Pray with me out loud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.